Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, Morgan's Mentors, Morgan Neesmith will be talking with industry representatives about career challenges, mentor and mentee advice. In this episode, Ed Garvin shares his thoughts on entrepreneurship, consulting and career progression. Welcome to DFI's podcast channel, Broadcasting Common Ground. I am Morgan Neesmith, and one more time, at least for 2022, it is time to move the needle with our show about mentorship and careers in the geotechnical world. We've been talking with guests from a variety of engineering roles across the industry this year, and one thing we haven't talked about and that I don't think gets talked about enough is the business end of the profession. So to that end, Dr. Ed Garvin has been nice enough to join us today. Uh, after over 25 years in consulting, construction, and academia, uh, he started the Garvin Geostructural Group, which provides design services for specialty geostructural systems, as well as continuing education training and construction litigation support. Ed, thanks very much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Now, one thing I sometimes forget is because I get to choose all of the guests. I know a lot about you, but for those who don't, if you could uh, tell our audience a little bit about your background, where you're from, uh, and your professional history leading up to starting your own firm. Sure. I, I was actually, uh, I, I took an unconventional route to get to where I am today. Um, I was uh, born in Texas, but raised in New Jersey. And my father was a general contractor. And so I, from the time I was about 13 or 14 years old, was uh, working with my, with my father on job sites. And uh, I spent probably 10 to 12 years doing construction work all through my high school years and through my early college years um, before I decided I wanted to be an architect. (laughs) And so I went to architecture school for a couple of semesters and found out that I'm not an architect. (laughs) And that led to a little bit of a break. Um, But when I went back to school, uh, I knew it was for civil engineering. That was a better fit. And um, I've been fortunate after I I finished uh, my master's and my doctorate um, down here in in, uh, Tampa, Florida. Uh, I am fortunate that I was able to be hired by a prominent consulting firm, Universal Engineering Sciences, where I did standard geotechnical consulting, but I tended to work on the more complex problems for them. And then I uh, went to work for Hayward Baker. And uh, subsequent to Hayward Baker, I worked for um, a company called EarthTech. They're a a, um, specialty geostructural contractor in the Florida area. And I was their VP of engineering. And I did all that prior uh, prior to starting my firm. And just because I had a little free time, I also worked at USF as an adjunct professor for a while. So I've kind of got a perspective that I think is a little bit unique in that um, I've got construction, I've got academia, and I've got engineering, you know, points of view on everything that I approach. For sure. Uh, That sounds like perhaps we could have had you on every episode for our various aspects of engineering. But before we get into the business ownership specifically, one thing we do like to talk about is the mentorship aspect. So looking back at your career path um, throughout that career, maybe not necessarily how many mentors, but anybody that really sticks out that you might want to talk about. And in particular, one thing that we found interesting is whether these were formal 
company directed relationships or whether they just developed naturally. Uh, and again, any, anybody you might want to talk about as, as being particularly pivotal. Sure. And, you know, you don't end up with a successful career of 30 plus years without having some people help you along the way. Uh, and I certainly have been fortunate to have quite a few mentors. Um, I think that uh, the two that, that come to mind most prominently are um, Dr. Gray Mullins from the University of South Florida, who uh, gave me uh, an, a wonderful opportunity with my master's and my doctoral studies uh, to work very hands-on in the field uh, on projects that did not require somebody sitting behind a computer and doing lab work. They required somebody to be out on a construction site, you know, working with, with the guys and, and doing what they do um, to better understand the different processes we were studying. Um, and I, I, I always look back on, on uh, Dr. Mullins. Uh, we, we became very good friends over the seven or eight years that, that I was uh, studying under him. One of the things he used to always say is if I could do anything else, I would go to work for Hayward Baker. That's my dream job. And as it so happens, um, I went to work for Hayward Baker <laughs> and it absolutely was a dream job. And there I met um, an engineer named Jim Husson, uh, who many people know. Um, he's, uh, he's very active in our industry. And over my tenure at Hayward Baker, uh, he, he guided me in innumerable ways. Um, you know, there were always times where even with everything I knew from all of my experience up to that point, I, I would I would inevitably be looking at a project at some point that just scared me a little bit, to be honest. And Jim was the kind of guy that you could take it to him. He was very methodical, looked through everything and uh, gave you the gave you the courage to, to do what you think is right. And don't worry, it's going to work. Um, he he coached me on everything from business relationships to engineering approaches and then some. So um, I think those were the two that really stand out as, as big helps in my career. Awesome. And I've had the opportunity to know both of them. So that's, I, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to mention them specifically. Um, again, sticking with your, uh, looking back on your career a bit, is there a moment in there or a project uh, that was particularly pivotal, whether that was during your time at one of those uh, particular firms or in graduate school that uh, really turned into sort of a pivotal moment of, that shaped your career? And how did that really come about? Yeah, interesting. I think the, the one pivotal moment in my career uh, would be when I was kind of burned out as an engineering consultant, you know, doing geotechnical investigations, writing the reports and all that. Um, I reached out to a friend at Hayward Baker, who I had met during my master's and doctoral research, because we went on a lot of Hayward Baker job sites to do our research. And this friend was a senior project manager there. And I reached out to him, you know, just very quietly and said, hey, would you guys have a place for somebody like me? And I had an interview with the, with the VP of the Southern region the next day. And um, 
And I think it probably wasn't more than about two or three weeks before I made the transition and, and started working there. And the reason I think that's pivotal is because during my tenure at Hayward Baker, I was exposed to so many different types of projects around the world. I was given the opportunity to travel pretty much anywhere I wanted to go. Uh, Hayward Baker, now known as Keller, has offices in almost every country. And the exposure I got to the, the variety of projects, the solutions, how things are engineered, how things are constructed, um, that proved to be uh, invaluable when I decided to start my own firm. Um, you know, that, if had that not happened, uh, then I don't know if I would have gained the experience that would have let me take the leap into entrepreneurship. So I think that was the pivotal moment for me. And that leads us really well into now it's time to get down to the Lincoln Logs, as they say. That moment that you decided, I'm assuming you weren't just mad one day and like, ah, I'm out of here. I'm going to go start <laughs> my own firm that was a little more measured than that. But what was that like coming to that conclusion that this is it, this is the moment I'm ready and this is something that I want to do? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. That moment wasn't a moment. It was years of contemplation and, you know, just uh, just hoping that I would have the opportunity someday to do that. And it came down to uh, just the right things falling into place at the right time. Uh, I I had I had done everything I really set out to do at Earth Tech, which was my, my last employer before going out on my own. And um, I had a lot of people, uh, colleagues, um, family, friends, you name it, everybody telling me, you really need to be out there doing this for yourself. And so a um, little over five years ago now, uh, I decided, you know, okay, I'm standing at the edge of the cliff. It's time to jump. And just hope the chute opens. And uh, as it happens, it, it did. So um, there wasn't any one real moment. It, it just, uh, I waited for the stars to align, but I was thinking about it actively the entire time. And I think pretty much everything I did uh, in some way, shape or form led me to the spot that I'm in now. That's what I figured. And that's awesome. Um... One of the things that I would like to talk about is uh, I am assuming there are things that people should know before they just dive into there. There's some realities about ownership. Um, it's not always fun and games that they need to understand they're going to have to deal with. But on the other hand, there's got to be moments that make it worth it. Uh, I was just going over your LinkedIn page again and noticed that uh, you had commented about unnecessary meetings being one of the reasons you had left the uh, uh, <laughs> the larger corporate world, and and, and I, I agree with you there. Uh, but if you could talk about those pros and cons, what do people need to understand you are going to have to deal with? But what are some of the things that really make it worth it on a day to day uh, operational level? Sure, I I'll tell you, um, I I view uh, entrepreneurship and business ownership as as kind of a, a funnel, if you will, where uh, what's going into the funnel is the stuff that's going to feed you six months down the road. What's 
in the neck of the funnel is what you're working on now. And what's coming out of the bottom of the funnel is the stuff you've completed and you're waiting to get paid for and all that. Uh, the funnel, you can't let it run dry. You always have to have something going into the funnel um, because unlike you know, working for somebody else, you're not guaranteed a paycheck every week. Uh, you're not guaranteed a paycheck every month. <laughs> you, you really have to actively uh, promote yourself, promote your business, promote why you stand apart from others that may be doing what you're doing and, um, and really cultivate relationships so that you have people that consider you their go-to. When they need this, they call you. They don't think about anybody else. Um, if, if you can get to that stage, then you can keep the funnel flowing. You know, there's always something coming in, always something going out. And, and you know, thankfully, you know, when that happens, you do get a paycheck. <laughs> um, the, the analogy, though, that I, that I uh, use a lot also is, um, you know, when you're a business owner, it's like you're treading water out in the middle of the ocean and you can't see land anywhere. You have to just keep treading because the minute you stop, you're going, you're going under. It's a constant, it's a constant uh, machine that needs maintaining and it needs steering and guidance. And you can't just step back and let it run on autopilot because it won't. Um, but that said, the benefits are, you know, you, you develop these relationships with your clients. And when you're able to help a client, you know, whether you're helping them win a project or you're helping them value engineer a project so that, you know, maybe they make a better margin on a job or you're helping them solve a problem that they're not really sure how to solve. At least for me, that's very satisfying. I, I, I enjoy that immensely. And I think that's probably true for most, most engineers. We're problem solvers. Um, and then there are some other, you know, there are some other benefits. I mean, we, we have, uh, at least with my company, we all have uh, incredible flexibility. Um, we all work remotely. Uh, thanks to COVID, you know, we decided, hey, there's really no need for an office. We, we've gone this long without one. Um, and what that did was it opened the doors geographically for me to be able to hire anybody I need anywhere in the country. And they just work from, from where they are. We don't, you know, I, I, was, I was able to open up a larger pool of candidates to work with me. Um, so the flexibility and there's a lot of freedom associated with it, but honestly, you're never off. Even when you take a little vacation, you're on, you're thinking about it. Your, your mind's always going, what can I do next? How can I, how can I get out there? Well, I haven't heard from this client in a while. What can I do to get some FaceTime again? You know, there's, there's always something to do, but it is very rewarding. And, um, you know, if you're willing to do the work. I believe it's probably harder than going to work for somebody else. Um, if you're willing to do the work, I think it it pays the rewards uh, more more than the work that you put into it. And I'm glad that you mentioned uh, some of your team members as well. I think for people who don't know, Carbon Geostructural is not a sole proprietorship. You have a it, this is a firm with a number of team members um, now, as you said, across. Uh, a very geographical area, was there ever that pressure that you talk about to keep things in the funnel? Does that get 
uh, a little even increased now that somebody else is responsible. You're, you're not just responsible for your own paycheck. You have other people who are depending on you getting this to for their livelihood as well. Of course, of course. And for the first few years, I uh, I did work primarily uh, solo and um, people that I worked with were just independent contractors. Um, but when I when I took the plunge and started bringing on employees, uh, you're you're 100% correct. All of a sudden, you start to to think, you know, as you lay down to go to sleep at night, you think, oh my, I, I'm not just responsible for feeding my family. I'm I'm responsible for their families and and their well being. And uh, it it is it is a lot of pressure. But I think when you enjoy what you do, uh, the the pressure that you feel is really just a motivator. It's not a negative type of pressure. And when you enjoy what you do, it comes across with your team members. And so they're out there promoting you as well. And, um, and so the machine works. If you were doing something that you didn't really enjoy, I don't know that the, that the machine would work. That makes a, a lot of sense. Um, and I, I can only imagine it's, it's one thing to, to, like you said, go to sleep at night and say, you know what, it's fine if I don't make any money for six months for me. It's a whole other ball game when uh, you, you might be looking at uh, someone else's livelihood as well. Um, in, in all of our DFI podcasts, um, we like to talk about when things don't go as planned. I have stopped using the term failure. I don't like it even in geotechnical terms necessarily. Um, but maybe a challenging situation where you had a vision of things, particularly when you were starting up the business, maybe over the last five, six years, uh, where things weren't quite going according to vision, and whether it was course correction, a pivot, whatever, or just the way things developed. Um, if you could talk about that, not necessarily in, with any specificity of a, a particular project or anything, but how do you get in the mindset of being able to course correct and go with that? that, that change of, of what you initially thought? Yeah, that's, that's a great question because, uh, I, as I said, spent years thinking about making the move to, to, uh, entrepreneur and, and business owner. And so I did have a very set vision of what I wanted my company to be and what my, my early goal was, you've got the world of engineering consulting, and you've got the world of construction, but there's always seems to be a gap. There always seems to be a gap between those two worlds where when it comes time to build, you know, so-and-so didn't see this recommendation or so-and-so didn't know you had to do that or what have you. And my initial early stage goal was to fill that gap, was to say, okay, I'm going to be the bridge between pure consulting and pure construction because I've got experience on both sides of, of that bridge. Um, and with that, uh, I set out and I started, um, you know, knocking on doors and, and picking up the phone. And I, I had a lot of relationships already um, from my years with prior companies. And so I started to get some work. Um, I quickly realized that there wasn't a need, at least an immediate need, for what I thought I wanted to do. But what there was a strong need for was um, designers who have extensive construction experience because there are 
plenty of very, very talented engineers out there who have actually never really built anything. And so they design something, they're missing that perspective. And there are plenty of contractors out there who build beautiful things, but they have no idea of even the slightest inkling of engineering that goes into it. So it's not a big deal for them to make a change in the field and and then just send you a note about it. You know, um, I I think the key is flexibility. When you see that uh, where you're heading isn't where you thought you were going to be heading, then you should be open to the possibility that hey, maybe my need is elsewhere. And what I what I did was I allowed that just to occur organically. So I didn't try to fight it. I didn't try to swim upstream. I ended up becoming, you know, a a trusted advisor and designer for many companies uh, across the country. I even helped a few companies uh, that didn't do certain techniques, um, add those techniques to their, to their toolbox. Uh, And I could do that because I had the engineering and the construction experience. So sitting here now on the other end of five and a half years doing this, I look back at those early days and I think, wow, that was a really cool idea, but I'm not doing that. (laughs) I'm doing something completely different now. Right. And I love it. I'm very happy about it. That's great because one of the things that has been touched on in a couple of the other episodes is just being open to opportunity for our younger audience. Um, A little bit of the fear of making the wrong choice when I think the worst thing to do is make no choice. And so being able to have that flexibility and be open to those opportunities uh, is a real key for their success. Um, Thinking to our younger audience, our students, um, early or younger engineers, you have a team now that you've assembled. You you have a, what is a, a thriving business. As you look to add, replace, expand, whatever, is there are there particular characteristics or um, certain backgrounds that you think, wow, they, they just jump out and you want to be on a team with that person? Sure. I think the number one thing that I, that I like uh, when I'm looking at a candidate to come join our team is somebody that strikes me as very curious, always wanting to know the whys and the hows, um, not somebody that comes in saying, hey, I've got a doctorate. I know everything there is to know. You can't teach me anything new. Uh, but somebody that comes in that's, that's, you know, that doesn't just take my word for it. They question things. And a lot of times when that happens, you find out you're not necessarily doing it the best way that it could be done. You're doing it a certain way that works. But if you get a question from a different point of view, it can it can lead to an improvement of your processes. And so I like people that are very good communicators and are very curious and always want to know why, always want to know how. Those, those are the people that fit really well with my team. And that's a great point. I think it's in some respects, it can be really easy to fill in a spreadsheet or hit a button and run an analysis, but it's that thinking about the problem solving um, that I think really sets a really good engineers apart. Um, on that note, it's time for us to take a very brief break and then we are gonna be right back to wrap up with Dr. Ed Garvin. 
Hello, listeners. I'm Teresa Engler, Executive Director of the Deep Foundations Institute. And wow, so many great nuggets of information in the discussion today on Morgan's Mentors. Hope you found them useful. If you're a student or young professional, I want to specifically speak to you about getting involved with DFI so you can connect and interact with these experienced professionals and learn even more from them and their colleagues. DFI provides free membership for students and that membership allows you to join one of our many technical committees, attend events at a very low fee or no fee at all, and also access valuable technical resources such as free downloadable papers and manuals, our journal and magazine at DFI.org, as well as other technical documents from the geotechnical mining and tunneling world at OneMind.org. For young professionals, an individual membership is very affordable, and if your company is a corporate member of DFI, they may be able to include you under their annual dues, so ask your supervisor. Other activities you may be interested in are, are our annual paper competitions for students and young professors. These provide each winner with a $1,000 travel stipend, free registration to DFI's annual conference, two nights of lodging, a presentation spot during the conference, and the opportunity to have the paper published in the DFI journal. We also offer scholarships and Women in Deep Foundations professional development grants through our charitable arm, the DFI Educational Trust. To date, we've provided over $1.6 million to over 450 students and professionals. Why not be one of them and apply? Information on all these programs, resources, and activities can be viewed at DFI.org. We look forward to welcoming you, and if you have any questions, shoot an email to staff at DFI.org. Now, back to Morgan and his guest mentor. Okay, well, we want to once again thank Dr. Ed Garvin for joining us today. But before we go, the question we always ask uh, all of our guests when they join us. Dr. Garvin, if you could interview anyone, living or not, for this particular podcast, who would that be and why? Well, I have a standard answer that I give whenever somebody asks me that. And I would, I would say Sir Isaac Newton. And the reason I say that is here was a man who was doing science and the math of his day didn't provide the tools he needed to do the science that he wanted to do. So he invented his own math that we call calculus. And I've just always been amazed by that. Now, I will admit, I used to read my calculus textbook at night for pleasure reading. <laughs> so I would love to, to meet the man that actually put that all together. I think certainly the idea of what you just said came up with their own math. Basically inventing your own language to communicate your ideas. That, that is pretty fascinating. Well, again, we really appreciate you, you taking the time to join us. Um, and for everyone who's been watching or listening this year, we appreciate you taking the time to tune in as well. Maybe we'll do it again next year. But as my brother Brandon once told me, Morgan, nobody knows the future. And that's what makes it so exciting. So until then, remember that the truth will send a ripple through your body. On behalf of DFI, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The views 
information and opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcasts are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of DFI. DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification, or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Proudly sponsored by Dan Brown and Associates. Thanks for your time. Keep on surviving.